Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And today's movie is a perfect one for staff picks. In fact, my host and I were just talking about it right before uh, I started this uh, podcast that this is the absolute perfect movie for my show because it's not really all that well known. And it's got a couple elements of horror in there. It's got some sci-fi, but it's such a simple plot. It's really easy to talk about. So like you're going to hear me, I have a little extra spring in my step today because I'm talking about a movie I really feel strongly about, and that is the sci-fi movie Exam from 2009, which I can guarantee most of you have never heard of before, and that's just the way I like it. So I get to walk you through a movie that I really, really, really like. In fact, I just watched it again today. I'm like, why is this movie not better known? This is fantastic. Okay, and uh, my host for this episode Let's see, I had him on once before. He uh, did one of my favorite episodes from about a year ago called Crimson Tide. That was an excellent episode. I wanted to bring him back, and he's the one that suggested Exam to me. And I'm like, perfect. I've been waiting to do that movie anyway. I just am so excited. I found somebody who actually knows it and likes it as much as I do. So uh, welcome back to the show. Big movie fan, a guy I've known for years through the Survivor community. We have fun time talking because we are very similar in our senses of humor. Welcome back to the show, David Holdsworth. Mario, thank you for having me. I appreciate coming back for the second time. I don't know if I get a special jacket or a patch or a trophy or something for being a two-timer, but I'm pretty excited. Thank you. If you make it all 80 minutes and make it to the end, then I hire you. That's how it works. Well, if we go 80 minutes, that'll be the exact length of the movie. So, <laughs> All right, so tell people a little bit about yourself in case they don't remember you. Sure. My name is Dave Holdsworth. Um, I was on Crimson Tide doing um, Staff Picks podcast uh, about a year, year and a half ago. I'm an ex-submarine officer in the Navy, but um, I'm in marketing now, married with kids. I really have no life of my own aside from movies and Survivor. So if you like movies and Survivor, somehow you get caught in Mario Lanza's orbit, and that's what happened to me. So here I am. <laughs> that's, it's funny how similar your background is to mine, other than the uh, the submarine thing. And I would just add, all I care about is movies and Survivor and baseball. But other than that, we're exactly the same. Mario, I, I was a math nut. Growing up, I was almost a math major, and I learned all of my math from baseball. So <laughs> I'm a baseball freak, yes. <laughs> I remember, okay, I'll, I'll delve a little into my own history here. Back when I was in high school, I played on the baseball team, and I was always, I would always say I was too nerdy to be a jock, but too, jo too much of a jock to be a nerd. But the thing that I would get yelled at, my coach would always yell at me because I'd be reading books on the team bus on the way to games. He's like, Mario, baseball players don't fucking read. Put that book away. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> and then the other thing is I'd be, I'd figure out people's batting averages in the dirt because I'd do long division just in the dirt. I'd, they'd say, oh, I have you know 15 hits and 49 at-bats, and I'd just draw it out until their batting average. And they'd be like, oh, my God, you can figure that out. I'm like, That's basic math. That's not that hard. Well, Mario, speaking of Survivor, in the one episode where they're rolling the dice and the guy says you have a 16.6% chance, I'm like, oh, it's a batting average. I mean, anyone in baseball knows <laughs> you go one for six, you're hitting 167, you know, 160, 1.66 repeating, so whatever. All right, well, I hope you guys are ready for David and me to nerd out together over this movie. We are. And Mario, I got to say, you called this a sci-fi movie. I don't, I wouldn't know if I would put it in the sci-fi genre so much. Just, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think I kind of screwed up. Okay, how would? Okay, I'll put you on the spot. How would you describe this movie to someone who has never heard of it? In a very simple thing, it's almost a lockbox movie. You got? Do you want me to, Can I go into the plot a little bit? You can do it if you can do it in like two sentences. Don't get too intricate yet. 
I can. A bunch of people are going in for a final interview and they're given one question to answer, but the paper is blank. And how far will they go to get the job? It's there's a lot of elements of there's horror. There's a little bit of sci-fi. It encompasses a lot of genres, but it all takes place in one room with 10 characters and that's it. Yeah, that's actually a really good way of describing it. I was going to say the same thing. It's basically like an escape room movie. Yeah, it kind of is an escape room movie. Yeah, except you're trying not to leave the room in some ways. Okay, yeah, so that's for my listeners who don't know this movie. It's really a really taut psychological thriller, kind of some horror elements, kind of some sci-fi. It's really more of just a straight drama, but it's really tense. And the more I watch it, the more I'm impressed by how many little clues there are along the way that tip off the ending that you don't even catch the first time. There are, and I get it. I love movies. There's one specific subgenre of movies and really TV shows that I love. It's these types of movies. This, Cube, Saw, The Game with Michael Douglas, even Battle Royale. It, 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 everyone's into Squid Game now. Mm -hmm. That has a little bit of elements of this, although that's a series. I love that weird little genre where people are in a situation, they don't really know what the rules are, and they have to figure out what to do to live or to win or whatever. I like that. Yeah, I totally agree. And you mentioned one movie. This this movie to me feels like two really other similar movies. One is Cube, which you said, and I already I've already covered that one on Staff Picks. And then uh, we have Cube, and then we have this one, Exam, and there's another one called Circle. Have you seen Circle? I am. Yes, that that's on my list as well. Very very. That's kind of this crossed with Survivor a little bit. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So if you guys like Survivor, you like those reality competition shows. If you've seen Cube, you've seen Circle. Exam is right there in that sweet spot. In fact, I would say between the three, my wife likes Cube the most. I like Exam the most, but we both love all three of those with Circle included. Yep. Very good flicks. Okay, so let's see. I have a bunch of notes about this movie. Again, we're going to delve into it. It's a really simple setup, and so much of it is just in the style and the execution. But I have a couple notes here. I, I have the DVD of Exam, and I love – it came out in 2009. It's a British thriller. And at the top of the DVD, the uh, slogan is, it's The Apprentice Goes to Hell. <laughs> the one I saw, it said, eight candidates, one answer, no questions. That's all it said. I didn't see that one. Yeah, it's so great. It's such a little tense, little escape room movie. And like you said, it's all filmed in one room. So there's like no there's no external sets. There's just one set. It's like a stage play. It's it's pretty low budget, but it doesn't seem that way. They pull off some neat effects, you know, not over the top, but it works. Yeah. And there's a couple things besides that that appeal to me in doing an episode of Staff Picks on it. One of the, the problems I have in movies is I'm trying to describe characters to people, but the the if you don't know the movie, you wouldn't know the character, you just know the actor. So I'm constantly saying, like, oh, it's Mary slash Cameron Diaz from, like, something about Mary. So I'm, I'm getting confused. This movie's real simple because there's no character names. There are, there are not. They actually give each other borderline offensive nicknames to <laughs> remember who's who, but I don't know if th that would fly today because it's a little more of a PC culture, but it worked back then. Yeah, for the record, if you've never seen this movie, there's eight candidates applying for a job, and they're all, you know, demographically, demographically diverse and uh, kind of fit every niche, and they are just literally named Asian, white, black, brown, brunette, blonde, deaf, and, uh, oh, dark. dark. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but it makes it so easy to talk about because there's no characters in this movie, there's no character names. And there's eight of those. There's a guard. And then I learned a new word in watching this movie, the, the word invigilator, which which means administrator. That's a British term for that. And the director said he liked the term. So he gave the guy that that title. 
It's funny. I had to look that word up, like, literally right before we started this podcast. Yeah, for people who haven't seen it, the guy running the test is uh, this big black guy with a deep, really deep voice named the Invigilator, which is it's like a, a superhero name. It sounds like he'll kill you if you do something wrong. Yeah, but all he does is he invigilates. Well, and speaking of superheroes, I don't know if you knew this. The cast is a bunch of nobodies. You've never heard of any of them, mm-hmm. but one of them, the one that's on screen for the shortest amount of time, 74 seconds, is Gemma Chan. Mm-hmm. She is the Chinese girl. That's her title. But she's pretty big now. Are you, have you, are you familiar with what she's in? I did, not, I did not research this at all. What else is she from? She was in Crazy Rich Asians. She was a big role in Captain Marvel. She was one of the leads in Raya and the Last Dragon by Disney and – the new Eternals movie that's coming out for Marvel next month, she's one of the, the lead stars of that. So this was one of her first movies, and she's gone to big things since. No one else has done anything, but she's pretty big. Well, I, I guess that's your reward for breaking the rules and being the first one kicked out of the contest. Exactly. And she's the funny. She's the second build because I think they did it by candidate number, and she was second candidate. So, Okay, so a couple other things you mentioned about this movie I wanted to point out. It's almost real time, which – is really neat because it's a ticking clock movie where there's a countdown and they must basically escape the room in 80 minutes. And the movie is literally like almost exactly 80 minutes once they start that timer. It's so cool. Yeah, it is. Okay, and one other thing that I wrote, and this is not something you haven't mentioned yet, that I'm kind of a sucker for this where every character in the movie is smarter than me. <laughs> and that's the thing about this movie, like – like they all have their little moments other than uh, the Asian girl where she gets eliminated real quick. But every other character in the movie is smarter than every other character at some point. And it's really kind of intricate to see like how this movie was written. You had to be really bright to write this movie to the point that I'm shocked when I read reviews. And this movie is not that well reviewed. It's not. Yeah. They, they give it you know, 50%, two out of five stars. It's better than that. Anyone listening, ignore all that. Listen to us. Go watch this movie. Yeah. Are people nuts? How is this is like a 60% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, how could this movie, is it just too smart for people? Is that the problem? I, I think it is. I think they get, some people get bored if you're just in one room and it's just talking and there's no explosions or, you know, a lot of people being killed. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I I was shocked because like, I've had this right on the top of my list for years. And like I even said, you and I talked right before this podcast started. Like, there could not be a more perfect movie for staff picks. Yeah, because I've – a lot of my friends know movies. Not a single person I talk to has ever heard of this movie, which is a damn shame. I don't even remember how I heard about it. Do you remember how you were tipped off about it? Well, you tipped off because you mentioned it that you like this movie exam and I don't know if it was in a funny 115 article or just in your general ramblings online. And I usually follow your advice on movies. So I checked it out a couple of years ago and I loved it. Wow. That's, a, that's the greatest commercial for staff. Picks. If I ever advertise the show and use a commercial, I will use that quote right there. There you go. I won't even charge you too much. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think I, I must have heard about it because I'm always searching for – Un, unknown horror movies. Horror is my specialty. Most people would, would yep. know me would say that. But the, uh, Cube is one that came up on the underrated horror movies, this little Canadian movie. And so I saw Cube, and I looked up what's like Cube, and this other one, Exam, popped up. Even though Exam is not Canadian. I kind of thought it was. It's not. It's British. Yeah, yeah, it is British. So that's how I was tipped off. So it's all just word of mouth, these little indie movies. And this was billed to me as a horror movie. And it is kind of. I mean, I wouldn't. It's closer to horror than like a non-horror, I would say. I think it's more almost psychological drama more mm-hmm. than horror. Yeah. And those are kind of my bread and butter movies, these psychological thrillers that just get in your head and they're super intense. 
And you might not know this. Did you know this came out in 2009, 2010? They actually did a stage adaptation in England of this in oh, wow. a couple of years later. Yeah. Because this this would fit perfectly on stage, right? You, you know, no sets, just people sitting there talking. It work, would work. Exactly. Yeah. One set. There's hardly any special effects. It's all lighting and water. That's about it. Wow. Okay, I'll have to I'll have to see if I can find that somewhere. If there's like a, a a video of the stage version, I'm curious what exam looks like in like real time. I couldn't find it. If you can, let me know. Yes. Well, of course, this was back in 2009 when everyone was invigilating, so it was a big time for invigilators. And the other thing I'd point out, um, Mario, it's interesting because one of the backdrops to this movie, that we'll, I'm sure we'll get into as we go through the plot, is there's a worldwide pandemic going on. Mm-hmm. And part of the, the interview process and what they're looking for feeds into that, which watching it a couple of years ago and then watching it again you know, in the last week or so getting ready for this, I saw the movie a little bit differently considering what's going on in the world. I am so happy you brought that up because I had the same experience. Yeah, I, I first saw this movie about five, six years ago, I forget, and I kind of put it off for a while, and my wife and I just watched it the other day in preparation for staff picks, and I had completely forgotten there's a whole subplot about a pandemic going on outside the, outside the room. Yep. Oh, yeah, that changes the story quite a bit if in 2021. Yes, it does. <laughs> okay, we are going to go through the plot, and again, this might be a fairly short episode of Staff Picks, it's not very intricate, and it's all just dialogue, and there's a couple plot twists, but there's no big action scenes, there's like not a lot of you know pithy quotes or anything, it's just really an escape room and people trying to figure out what they're supposed to do in this room, and again, I could not recommend this movie more highly, I'd really suggest you go out and watch it first before you listen to the rest of this podcast, because we're going to spoil it and give it all away, but I really think you should experience this not knowing how it ends. I 100% agree. It's better enjoyed going in blind. Yes, but then the second time, then you get to look at all the clues they give you. Yes, agreed. <laughs> okay, uh, David, so uh, I'll let you lead us off. We start this movie with just a montage of all the people getting ready, right? Yeah, they're all getting ready. They're putting on lipstick. They're psyching themselves up. It's like, you deserve this. You earned it. You can do it. Come on, things like that. They're getting ready. And, but you never actually see a room. You might see part of a lip. You might see you know, part of a button that they're doing. You don't even see a room. And then, then you see eight candidates walk into a room, and that is the exam room that they mentioned with exam. So they're coming in. They're looking for a job at this, at this company. They sit down at the desk, and there are pieces of paper that have candidate one, candidate two, all the way up through candidate eight. A guard enters with a gun. He stands there very quietly. He might be my favorite character. I'm sure we'll talk about him more. And then the invigilator arrives. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Before we go into the invigilator, let's talk about this company. Now, we're going to go a little out of order for the movie here, but I just think it's easier to talk about it this way. So basically the big picture is there's a pandemic going on in the world. There's some kind of uh, AIDS-like virus. It's not a airborne virus is like a autoimmune one i would assume right that yeah because they're not worried about because we'll find out later that some of them have it or are carriers and no one's worried about it so it, they can't really pass it in normal contact okay yeah so there's a big virus going on in the world these eight people are in this hermetically sealed exam room to take a test it's basically the last entrance exam to the best job they will ever get in their lives but they're not entirely sure what the company is. They just know it's a big company. There's this huge salary. It's a very prestigious thing. They're not really sure. Like we'll learn later, some of the characters know a little more about the company, some don't. But all we know at the start is it's eight people in a room with a guard. They're all sitting at desks. They have a single piece of paper on their desk. 
And this is where the invigilator comes in and explains what's going on. Yeah, and it it comes across the candidates aren't really even sure what the job is. <laughs> Am I marketing? Am I running a company? They really don't know, except it's a really good job and it's high paying and they want it. Yeah, and we get the sense maybe the economy is not so good right now. This is a really highly sought after job. They've had to go through all sorts of obstacles and hurdles to get to this point. This is the final step. They're the final eight. And yeah, basically this will turn into a contest of how far will you go for this job? Yep, exactly. So you're going to talk about the invigilator now? He's, am, he's fun. Yeah, I'm very excited. Okay, the invigilator. So they're all just sitting there, and they don't really know what they're supposed to do. And the invigilator walks in, and again, he's this big black guy, bald, kind of uh, Morpheus-ish from, the, from uh, the Matrix. He walks in. He's got that great deep voice, which I absolutely love, and I, I cannot possibly do an imitation. Do you think you can get your voice that deep? Absolutely not. No, he's very commanding. Just, you want to listen to this guy. <laughs> okay, so I wrote down his entire speech. Now, this is important. I don't normally quote this much of a movie on staff picks, but it's very important to listen to what he says. That's the key to this movie. David, will you allow me to quote the entire Invigilator speech? I have it all printed out as well. Please continue. Okay, here we go. He says, listen carefully to every word I say. There will be no repetition. I won't apologize for the hardships you've endured reaching this room. The pressures and the pains were necessary. Resilience is a key attribute in these dark times. And if you can't survive our selection process, you won't survive in the job. Many highly qualified candidates have tried to reach this point and failed. You have succeeded. And now the final stage lies before you. One last hurdle separates you from your goal, which is to join our esteemed ranks. The test before you is simple in comparison but it will determine who leaves this room with a contract of employment and who leaves with a bus fare home. And now we get to the fun stuff. Believe me when I say there is no law in this room but our law. And the only rules in here are our rules. And here we go, the rules of the contest. He says, there is one question before you and one answer is required. If you try to communicate with myself or the guard, you will be disqualified. If you spoil your paper, intentionally or accidentally, you will be disqualified. If you choose to leave this room for any reason, you will be disqualified. Any questions? And there's nothing. And he says, best of luck, ladies and gentlemen. And that's it. That's the movie. That's, that's it. <laughs> so that's it. Yeah, he, he says that. He gives his little speech. He says, make sure you listen to my words. He turns on the timer. They have a little timer in front of the room for 80 minutes. He just presses play, and he walks out of the room. And with that, the movie starts with eight people very confused about what they're supposed to be doing now. One thing I will add, there's a little bit in the speech beyond what you said. He says, we're giving the eight of you 80 minutes, 80 minutes to convince us you have what it takes to join us, 80 minutes to determine the next 80 years of your lives. Begin. <laughs> yeah. And I'll have a point later about the 80 years because I think that plays into the company a bit, but we'll come back to that. Okay. So with this, we set the stage, and it's just eight people, each sitting at a little desk. They have a piece of paper in front of them. It says candidate one, candidate two, candidate three, candidate four. And they know they're supposed to answer some question, but they're looking at the piece of paper. They don't know what to do. There's nothing on the paper. They've been told you're not allowed to spoil the paper. You'll be disqualified. And, like, at this point, they just they kind of look around at each other like, what the hell? <laughs> they look at the papers. They turn over the paper. There's no question. 
they don't they're like what the hell is going on here is this a joke it, it's it's pretty funny to watch at first <laughs> but one of them is going to crack almost instantly yeah, I, I don't know if it's crack or if she's just a type A personality. The Chinese girl, Gemma Chan, who we talked about earlier, she sits there and thinks she's smarter than everyone else. And she starts to write, I believe I deserve, not trying to dictate why she is the best candidate for the job. And you can see the camera swirl, you know, swivel and look at her because they have cameras all over the place. And immediately the guard comes over grabs her and drags her screaming out of the room the first person is gone in about one minute yeah she's like no no this is not a proper test and he just throws her out into the hall <laughs> and she's gone <laughs> all right let, let's talk about the guard for a second because i know you mentioned he's your favorite character in the movie let's explain him to people Sure. So the guard is there. He doesn't say a single word the entire movie. He's standing there with the stone face. He's, you know, it looks like a, a security guard in a mall or a company. It doesn't matter. He's got a gun. He's got a hat on. He looks kind of military like he his expression never changes. But he obviously has an earpiece in because someone's telling him to take people out of the room or to do something during the movie, but no matter what happens, he never breaks character. He never smiles. He never frowns. And some things happen to him along the movie that we'll get to that would have cracked me or made me at least laugh or, you know, maybe become aroused. We'll get to that later. <laughs> oh no, you're getting turned on by the guard. Oh no. <laughs> no, no. Things happen to the guard yeah, that know. if you were the guard, yes, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. Yeah, the, the guard is a wonderful little set piece in the movie because they're not allowed to communicate with him. So he's basically a prop and he will be used as a prop later. Yes, he is. And he becomes more and more of a prop as the movie goes on. <laughs> OK, so one person has been eliminated. Uh, Gemma Chan is out of the contest. So they're down to seven now. And uh, now they're just kind of looking around. Well, that was fast. One person got eliminated for writing on her paper. So what can we do? And this is where we meet. I would argue there's really two villains in this movie. We're going to meet the first of the villains, who is uh, conveniently just known as White. Yeah, he named himself White. <laughs> he is a white guy, in case anyone hasn't seen the movie. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's set this up. So there's the one white guy. Next to him, we have kind of an Arab-American guy, or I guess it'd be British. He's an Arab. He's a Middle Eastern guy, let's say that. And then there's the black guy behind him, and there's three women. There's the blonde, the brunette, and then one who has glasses and dark hair. They will refer to her as dark. And now in the front of the room, there's this little squirrely French guy who never interacts with anybody, and we'll refer to him as death. He appears to be mentally challenged throughout the episode. He's talking to himself. He's wandering around. He doesn't answer them. You kind of wonder, how did this guy get in the room? What's going on with him? But yeah, they... The white guy who is the, you know, he's a, he's pretty much a bigot, loudmouth, smartass guy. He names everyone. He names the French guy deaf because he doesn't answer to anything. Okay, yeah, and the white guy, again, he's just named White, so we'll just say White. White is basically this cocky British guy in a suit, and he kind of looks around the room after the Asian girl gets eliminated, and he's like, you know, the key to this isn't what the invigilator said. It's what he didn't say. And they're all kind of looking around. He's like, he didn't say we couldn't talk to each other. And the, right from the start, you can see White's wheels are turning that this is like a, it's a complicated, like a, what would be the right term for this? It's like a, like a mind game. It's like a, a puzzle, mind game. Mind yeah. game. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a mystery wrapped in a riddle. So he's like, he said we couldn't do some things, but there were other things he didn't say. He's like, I can stand up, can't I? And he stands up and he looks around and the guard doesn't pull him out of the room. 
So now it's a game of White trying to figure out what exactly they can get away with in here and not get disqualified for. Yep, exactly. And he, he, he more than anyone else, pushes the limits and tries to catch other people in tricks. It's, it's a fun mind game that he plays as well. Yeah, and then there's this other really strong character to his right, the Middle Eastern guy who he names Brown. <laughs> Which was better than Gandhi. He initially called him Gandhi, and the guy took offense at that, but he accepted being called Brown. <laughs> yeah, and as the movie goes along, Brown is actually probably going to be an even, an even bigger villain than White, but we'll get to that later. But so Brown, his wheels are turning too, and he's like, well, because it's not about the answer. He keeps saying this. The invigilator said this test is about the answer. It's not about the answer. It's the question. We have to figure out what the question is. And so all the people are kind of turning and talking to each other. And now White, I think, convinces them they should all work together on this. Yeah, we should all work together at least until we figure out the question and then every person for themselves. Yeah. And his logic is, I mean, it makes sense. His logic is this is a highly innovative company. This is a hugely prestigious job. What they're looking for is leadership. They're looking for teamwork, innovation. If we work together as a team, then they'll see who has what, the, what it takes. Yeah, it's a bit like Survivor. You know, you have to work together with people, but at the end, only one person wins. So how long do you work together before you stab them in the back? It's kind of the same thing plays out on screen here. Yeah, it's very, in real time, I might add. Yep. Although there's another the character, the uh, young woman, Dark. Now, she has the long, dark hair, glasses. He just refers to her as Dark because Brunette was already taken. But uh, <laughs> right from the start, she says, this isn't even a test at all. This is a stress scenario. They have put us in a lockbox. And that's designed to test us and bring out our character and bring out our strengths and weaknesses. That's all this is. So right from the start, she's kind of seeing it for what it really is. Yeah, you can tell. Like you said earlier that these people at times are they're really smart. They're smarter than any of us. And they they pick up different pieces of what's going on at different points in the movie. And it's interesting to see one person figure something out than another. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess we should go over the characters here because this will be important to the movie. So. Let's try to describe the seven characters for people who have never seen this movie before. Sure. Um, I will start in the front left with Def. He is a little skinny French guy with glasses, kind of crazy professor hair a little bit, mumbles to himself a lot, seems to be looking at things that no one else sees. You kind of wonder if something is wrong with him, but that is Def. Okay, so Def is in the number one spot. Number two was the Asian girl. She's gone. Number three is, it's one of the women, is this Dark? I think Dark is three. I think Dark was three. Okay, Dark is, again, the long dark hair, the glasses, kind of a know-it-all, seems to know a little bit more about this room than everybody else, to the point they're going to get suspicious of her later. Very smart, will not take shit from people, but she is very, kind of has a smart mouth and is very bright and just will not put up with white as the movie goes along. Exactly. And number four is the woman with brunette hair. They call brunette. She's besides the Chinese woman. She's probably the least developed character. Um, I don't really have too much to say about her. She was one of the more forgetful characters. See, I would disagree with that, actually. And I only say that because I just watched it literally right before this podcast. And I was watching her in particular. She is actually the most capable candidate. She's the one you that scares so. them. Yeah, because she is very bold. She's very smart. She figures out a couple ideas early, and it's established early on her boyfriend has this virus. She needs the employee discount to pay for his medication. So she's very determined she's going to get this job, and she's very bold about showing the people that are watching that she can be a leader and can solve all their puzzles. I can see that. Yeah, and then she proceeds to be to leave. Yeah, she will be, she will be sabotaged because she's too strong. Okay. 
Okay. So now we have five. Number five is white. This is the white guy, the British guy. Uh, nice suit. Super cocky. Handles almost all the exposition in the movie. He runs the entire dialogue. All the story goes through him. He is going to be our main villain throughout the movie. He will. And then then we have Brown, who is the Middle Eastern gentleman. You find out a little bit more about his background. He likes to chew gum. He kind of is quiet a little bit, but at a certain point, he goes from candidate to kind of borderline evil. <laughs> Not even borderline. He goes full evil. Yeah, Brown is interesting. He's fun to watch in this movie because he starts off real quiet. He's just this quiet little professional gambler that sits in the back. And as the movie goes on, we find out some other stuff about him that he used to be a professional interrogator. Yeah. So if he wants to torture people, he knows how to get information out of you, and he, he becomes very scary later. He does. And in this room, there's not a lot of stuff to interact with, and he that's not a problem for him when he has to torture someone later in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm, just, I'm trying to appeal to my horror fans that like me to talk about horror movies. Brown definitely delves into horror a couple times here. He does. And then next is, I think, Blonde is number seven. She's a well-dressed, well-spoken, very intelligent woman. She's kind of seems to be the center of the circle, in not in white does all the talking, but she's the one that seems to bridge gaps between different people to try to find compromises. Um, interesting candidate. Yeah, she is by far the nicest person in the room. She's the most gentle-hearted, the comp most compassionate, and she will routinely get walked over all throughout the course of this movie because she's not as strong as the other ones. Yeah, and White, he has a lot of good singers at her. Yeah, White hates Blonde. Yes. Is that everybody who you named everybody? Um, Black. Black. Oh, yeah, okay, so explain Black. So Black is an African-American British gentleman he is he's probably the second nicest person um, after Blonde. His wife died of this mysterious pandemic that they're going through. I believe he said he's a carrier of it. So he has a personal connection to the company that they're, you know, unknowns to them. They might not know who they're applying for, but he has a connection to them because of his family. But he during the movie, he's going to do a couple things that probably surprised him. And he plays a big part at the very end. Yeah, and I always kind of forget, he's the religious one. He wears a cross around his neck. He's very religious. He, yeah, he is. He shows the cross in the opening montage of people getting ready. So I think he says, I can, do all, I can do all things through you, or I can do all things. Obviously, religious connotation. Okay, and from here on out, this is really just a locked room mystery. There's seven people left. Six of them are going to collaborate. The only one they won't talk to is Def, the crazy little French guy in the front who just talks to himself. So from here on out, they agree to work together at least until they figure out what the question is. Then they have every man for themselves. But for now, we're going to work together. And the first thing they do is they start brainstorming. And there's a, there's a lot of ideas being thrown out here where they're trying to figure out what's going on. And the funny thing is if I was in this room, I think this is what I would do. Like there's no question on the paper. He said we have to answer some question. It's probably hidden in the room or it's hidden on the paper in some way. So how can we make this hidden message be exposed. How can you expose this message? You know, what would we do? So they come up with a bunch of ideas involving light. We'll go into that, but they try to determine what this question is on the paper for the next probably half hour of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing is they're trying to figure out what's hidden on this paper. There's got to be something on there, but there's also these other secondary questions. Like he said, we can't spoil the paper. What does spoil mean? Do we know exactly what that means? Well, they, they find out quickly because the Chinese girl writes on hers, and that obviously spoils the paper. Like, and you, 
after she does that, it's funny. Everyone else just like drops their pencil. Like it's a snake. Like we're nervous to hold this thing. But they also do float the question. What if we each have a different question? So why should we work together if we're just finding out one person's question? Then we just gave them an advantage. So it's all about trust in here as well. Yes, it is. Yes, more and more like Survivor as we talk. (laughs) Okay, so, yeah, the big first 20, 30 minutes of this movie is them trying to deal with the lights. Now, for people who don't know, you can have watermarks on paper. You can have black light. You can have infrared. You can have holograms. You can have photographic paper. There's all sorts of things you can hide on paper, which if you've been to an escape room, you've probably seen something like that before. And so they start messing with the lights. That's the big part. Yeah, they did. Blonde comes up with the idea that there's all these light sources, but there's no light switch inside in the room. And that's when White says, well, why don't you walk outside and see if there's a switch? And as she leaves the room, she gets kicked out. And she's like, I don't think so. Nice try. Yeah. White will forever be trying to suggest people uh, disqualify themselves just because he's, he's, he's fun like that. He is, and they fall for it sometimes, but we'll get to that. Okay, yeah, so uh, there's all sorts of discussions here about spectrums of lights and infrared and visible lights and near-infrared. And again, this is way too smart for me. I don't really get how all this works, but every character in this movie seems to get this. They do, and they get different pieces of it. Like, Blonde comes up with the idea, but then Black realizes there are different spectrums of light. So let's break these other lights that might cause different light sources to come on. So one by one, they go down the line and they each contribute to the, the group trying to find the question on the paper that ultimately they never find a question on the paper as a group, but they go through a lot of different tries. Yeah, that's the thing. When you, when you know the, the solution to this puzzle and you watch this movie, you realize how much of it is just filler and distraction. It is. And we'll get you. This movie could have ended in 15 seconds it, <laughs> had they done something in the very beginning, which is kind of funny. We'll get to it at the end. But, yeah, you're right. <laughs> So, yeah, so the first thing is they knock out all the lights in the room because they know there's emergency lighting, and the emergency lighting is probably black light. So they work together to smash all the lights, and that doesn't work. And now they're like, let's smash the emergency lights because there's infrared behind that. And this is where Brown, I think Brown makes an observation where, you know, they broke the lights and nothing happened. And White is like, well, that sucked. That was worthless. And Brown's like, no, you did something to the room. The room reacted by showing you different lights. We've established a dialogue with the room. We should continue. Exactly. Yeah, he's that's that's one of his big contributions. Yes. So let's see the lights. They just go on for a while and nothing ever happens. And then uh, like they, they try four different kinds of lights. Nothing ever changes. They can never find anything on their paper. Although we've already started here with white mocking uh, deaf, right? Yeah, he he is not a fan of deaf. He look he sees him as the person he can abuse and kind of treat like a dog and just really get on him. And later he's really going to get on on deaf. But it starts here. Yeah, there's a lot of bullying in this movie. So if you don't like bullying, this uh, it may be a little harsh for you because it gets progressively worse and worse as White and then Brown will start bullying the weaker players. But at the start, yeah, the, the deaf guy or the, the weird French guy, White, just walks up to him and calls him an idiot. You're a nutter. He's like, give me your piece of paper. Let me hold it up to the light and just insults this poor guy. And then Blonde comes up later and takes it and said, I'll give it right back, sir, and like just checks it for him because Deaf's obviously not going to do it for himself. She she treats him with respect. Blonde does later. Yeah, okay. So, uh, so all the lighting in the room has been changed. They've done everything they can. They cannot figure out what's on their paper. And so now Brown kind of makes an offhand comment. He's like, well, maybe this company's Japanese. Maybe that's an origami exam. We're supposed to fold our paper. And this is where White gets an idea. White realizes there's something the invigilator didn't say about their papers. Yeah, he said, you can, your sheet is 
if you spoil your paper, you will be disqualified. He doesn't say anything about other people's other people's paper. So he realizes, hey, we have an op- opportunity here because the Chinese girl who left first, her paper is still sitting there. That is free reign for us to do with whatever we want with it. Yeah, so that's a neat little plot twist. You cannot spoil your paper, but you can spoil anybody else's paper, and there's no repercussions. Exactly. So now they start, yeah, ripping other people's paper up, seeing if there's anything they can do to it. I know at one point White pisses on a piece of paper to see if he can draw out a water stain or something. Yeah, he tells White says, you guys spit on it. I'm going to go back in here and urinate. And Blonde says, that's disgusting. He says, well, you can come help me if you want, you know, being the, the asshole that White is. He has takes every opportunity to be a jerk. Yeah, but he does say, you know, I'd rather that Blonde helped me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, uh, again, it's getting really complicated. I'm trying to summarize this without getting overly intricate, but this is where they're all looking at the pieces of paper, tearing up people, folding each other's pages, being careful never to touch their own paper. But this is where Def, the weird French guy in front, starts muttering things. Yeah, he's... He starts looking at his paper. It's in French, and someone – I forget who speaks French, but translates. He says, can you see it in there? See what in there? You know, Look at that. It's yourself. He kind of mumbling various things that later on you realize he's giving them hints, but they have no idea. He thinks he's, he's just an absolute nut job. <laughs> okay, yeah, so some of Def's phrases are – again, he's he speaks in French, and so they have to translate for him. He's this weird little French guy. He says, can you see – can you see it in there? See yourself. It shows you yourself. And White's just mocking him, and then French guy says, to see clearly is all. And this is where they uh, they kind of tips off something in Brown, the the, the terrorist, not, not the terrorist, the, the interrogator, the <laughs> professional interrogator. The Brown guy hears the deaf guy muttering stuff about it shows you yourself. This room shows you yourself. And Brown realizes, oh, my God, we're the question. This is really just a game. They're just watching us. And they're going to see us turn on each other until only one survives. He's like, I think this room is more sinister than we're, than we think it is. Yeah, and he also points out that there's eight people in the room. It's four men, four women. It's almost the perfect ethnic split. He's like, this is an experiment in group dynamics. This is not a test. Yeah, it's just a game to see who will crack under the pressure. He's like, all this company is is just a bunch of rich assholes sitting behind that window on the other side watching us, and they're probably betting on us, seeing who's going to survive, who's going to crack, who's going to turn on each other. He's like, we aren't even interviewing for a job. They're just laughing at us in here. Yeah, and this is when the woman Dark starts to turn on Brown and call him a gambler. People don't trust them, and he comes back on her really strongly. You know, what are you, a psychologist, a psychiatrist? And they start going at it, and they're – their conflict is going to come to a head in a little bit. Okay, yeah, this is a big scene for Dark. This is, again, the uh, the young woman, the psychologist, where Brown has identified her as a psychologist because she is spouting all the psychological stuff, diagnoses and stuff, and he's like, so you a shrink? And he right, right from the start, he realizes she doesn't really belong here. He's like, I think, Brown has already figured out, I think this is a stress box. I think they're laughing at us. This is a game. I think you are a plant. And he's already got it in his head. He's going to confront her on her later, though. And she, part of the reason he thinks that is she starts talking more about that. She knows more about the job than everyone else. You know what the CEO is like. He micromanages people. He, she seems to know things about the inner workings of whatever company they're applying for the job for than anyone else does. So it, the light bulb goes off for Brown that something's different about Dark. 
Yeah, Dark will give a lot of exposition right here. I believe this is the scene where she explains the entire company, right? Yeah, do you want to get, do you want to go through that? Yeah, I'll do it. Okay. So, nobody really knows what job they're applying for. They just were told this is some tech company, some uh, I don't know, cybersecurity or something. But Dark fills them in here. She's like, "You guys don't know which company you're interviewing with, do you?" And she's like, "I'll tip you off. You know we're in the middle of a global pandemic right now. This pandemic that's wiped out like half of the population of the planet." She's like, "There's one company that has figured out the virus suppressant that stops it." And they're like, "Oh my god." This is BioOrg? And they're like, or BioOrg. Yeah, BioOrg. This is BioOrg? And she's like, yes, this is BioOrg you're interviewing with. And they're like, wait, I thought there was a hiring freeze. She's like, no, this is a like a $20 billion a year company. Like, this would be the sixth biggest economy in the world if this was a country, this company. And they say they're not hiring, but I know internally they are. They're expanding. They've developed some new miracle drug. And this is for like the basically the assistant to the CEO. So this is a big deal, this job. And in that exposition, she points out they, they play the invigilator's initial speech, a part of it where he says 80 minutes to determine the next 80 years of your lives. She says, remember, 80 years. Longevity is what they do because everyone in the room is, I would say, 30s, 40s year old. Mm-hmm. They're not going to live for 80 more years unless there's something else going on. And that's what the company does. Yeah, so this is a hugely prestigious thing, and the the rumor has it this company has figured out a cure for the virus and some way to extend people's lives past the normal aging process. So, like, this is a huge deal, and Dark is just reeling off all this information. She's like, you know, their CEO, he's like, uh, you know, Elon Musk, kind of this weird dude, No one, but no one really knows him. He doesn't give speeches. Like, this is the exact type of game he would do to handpick his successor. He's probably on the other side of that window watching us. Like, they've all seen pictures of the CEO. They kind of know what he's like, and they're like, oh, my God, that guy's on the other side of the window. And this is where Brunette really stands up and starts uh, establishing her leadership. Yeah, because they start badgering each other about who might be infected with whatever the disease is. And, you know, are you infected? I forget who first says that they were infected, um, but Brunette says that her – I think her partner, her um, she's married or she has a boyfriend. Her partner is infected, and White immediately goes, "Well, there you go. You know, you just screwed yourself over. You're no longer a candidate. You look weak, all that stuff." And she says, "No, I think it actually makes me a stronger candidate because I'm committed to the cause." Yeah, that is very important. That, like you said, she's the least established character. I would disagree with that because she's just not around, around very long. But she she gets a lot of exposition here. She is probably the strongest of the women in there. She's very determined. She has a boyfriend or husband who has the virus. She needs this employee discount to help afford his treatment. She has a very personal stake in this. And now that she realizes the CEO is on the other side of that window watching her, she is determined that she is the one for this job. And she's like, if they want ballsy, watch. I will show them innovation. I will show them leadership. I will show them ballsy. And this is where she's the first one to walk up to the guard. Oh, yeah, this is a good scene. So she's going to prove her worth. She walks up to the guard, and she knows that she can't communicate with the guard. So she starts putting her hand in his pocket, feeling around. And the guard, very stone-faced, doesn't smile or anything. I think everyone else would. (laughs) But she ends up – she pulls out something, and she finds a lighter. So that was a – and she flicks it to show that it works. This opens up new opportunities in the exam room. Yeah, this is a really key plot point. They are not allowed to communicate with the guard in the room, the guy who has a gun, like he's a scary guard. But there's nothing stopping them from walking up to him and walking and like reaching into his pockets or like uh, moving him around or let's say later going for his gun. 
<laughs> There's no rules against that. Yep, exactly. So they start, they got they have the lighter now and they brainstorm a little bit and said, you know what? What if we hold it up to what is it? The fire system, the little sprinkler up there, hold the flame up to it and see if liquid comes out. And they start arguing, well, we already put liquid on the paper and it didn't do anything. And someone says, who knows? It's water in the pipes. It could be anything. It could be photographic developing fluid. And that's when Black says, oh, my God, you're right. I can't believe we missed that. We should try this. Yeah. Black goes into a big, long, detailed explanation of photography, how you it's it's very complicated to produce a color photograph but to pull black off of white all you need is a is developing fluid and he's like we have these white pieces of paper here that may have the question on them what if the developing fluid is in the sprinklers all we have to do is put a fire under it turn on those sprinklers have the chemicals pour down on our papers that might reveal the questions which is a really innovative idea and i will point out this is the point where before they do anything with the flame or the sprinklers Def stands up and kind of wanders to the front of the room <laughs> over up near the, the clock and White starts making fun of him again. You see Def staring at the time and it's down to about 39 minutes and then they cut back away from him. But later on, that will become important. Yeah, I love that moment. Yeah, they're all just fighting and debating how to turn on the sprinkler system. And Def is just, you know, a side character wandering over to look at the clock in front of the room. To see. <laughs> Def is very interested in that clock. He is. And, and I think White says, joining us at last, huh? You're deaf, but not dumb. <laughs> well, it's funny. I was reading some reviews of this movie and they're like, you know, what's interesting about this movie is it's got a twist ending. And I'm like, which one? There's like six twists. The whole movie is twist after twist after twist. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to figure out which one they think is the twist. Yeah. OK, so let's talk about Brunette. So Brunette is taking charge here. She's putting on a show for the CEO, watching her outside the window she has taken the lighter out of the guard's pocket. She's standing up on a chair trying to light the sprinkler system. She has the, fl the flame up there, and she is going to be the one to lead them to glory. And this is where we get the first sabotage of the mission, where White realizes that Brunette is a little too strong of a candidate. He's got to do something about it. He does. She's holding up the, the flame on the lighter, and it's, she's too far away. It's not going to reach the, the sprinkler system to engage it. So that's when White says, no worries, love. Give me a second. Hold on. So he walks over to the, the Chinese girl's paper and you see him turn and he brings it back and he hands it to Brunette. And she lights that on fire, holds it up to the sprinkler and liquid comes out and they're all holding their papers up. And lo and behold, nothing appears on the paper. Oh, my God. You know, it didn't work. It's sad. However, at that point, Brunette says, where's my paper? And you see White just smirk at her and the guard turns his head walks over and starts escort escorting her out of the room. And she starts shouting, you bastard white, how could you do this? You bastard. And he just is smiling ear to ear. Cause he's thinking I got her. Yeah. White is such a dick in this movie. He will sabotage anybody. The minute anybody challenges him or is smarter than him, he will do something to sabotage them. And that's how he gets brunette brunette out who again has a boyfriend or husband who has the virus. She needs this job to keep her partner alive. And when she's trying to light this piece of paper to hold it up to the sprinkler, he slips her her own paper so she'll light her own paper and spoil it. So unbeknownst to her, she disqualifies herself. And she is furious. And that is – it's such an infuriating scene with White just smiling like a, like a smug bastard as she's dragged out of the room. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's funny because White 
everyone starts razzing white. Like, I can't believe you did that. And he's surprised they're upset. Like, what do you mean? There's less people. We all have a better shot. He just doesn't get that. He's, he just doesn't comprehend how much of a dick he is or he doesn't care. Yeah. And he's going to up the factor here because he's about to sabotage a second player right in a row. So what happens, Mario? Tell me. Okay. So, so, well, first off, we learned something about the room. When white gets brunette kicked out of the room, there's only six left. Black says, you son of a bitch, I should not, I should punch your lights out. And the minute he says lights out, all the lights in the room go out. And so they realize, oh my God, this room is voice activated. It's something they didn't know, know until this point. Yeah, so then they say lights up, which I would have said lights on, but I guess the Brits say lights up, and they go on, they test that a few times. And okay, another interesting piece about the room that we will we'll factor in later. Yeah. And to be fair, the Brits still call us the colonies, so we don't really trust what they say. <laughs> and this is about the time in the movie where they look over and Def is back at his desk, looking down at his wet paper, crying. <laughs> it's just, I feel bad for Def. Poor Def, the little squirrely French guy is just crying because this room is too stressful for him. White is sabotaging people. There's water pouring on his head. And Def starts to break down and cry. He's this very sensitive guy. And White, of course, cannot handle that at all. White does not. If he sees someone show the, the tiniest bit of weakness, he will go over and exploit it. So White goes right over into the, the, into the French guy's face and starts taunting him and trying, basically daring him to quit and get eliminated. He kind of treats him like a dog. This is where White turns the evil factor up to 11. You know, are you feeling hungry, mate? Hey, why don't you rip your paper? And he's holding it in, in White's is holding it in Def's hand and they rip the paper. Why don't you eat your paper? And he's having the deaf guy eat his paper. And that's when the guard come and takes him out, whimpering, dragged into the hallway. Yeah, that's two really sad eliminations in a row. Two sympathetic characters, Brunette and Def, have both been sabotaged by White. They're both dragged out. And this poor French guy's crying and sobbing, and he drops his glasses. This will be important to the plot later. He drops his glasses on the floor as he's being escorted out. But just like that, now we're down to five. Yes, but it was fun watching one human make another human eat paper. <laughs> you don't see that in too many movies. No, although I should point out that two of the people in the room try to stop White from bullying Death. And they are, are two sympathetic people. They are black and blonde. They are, and them trying to stop him entails them saying, hey, you shouldn't do that. That's all they did. They, <laughs> they didn't really try to physically stop him. They just voiced displeasure and then let it happen. England is a very polite country. They are. They're too polite. <laughs> so, so yeah, so, uh, so now White is just a straight sociopath. He has just sabotaged two people. He's laughing. He's like, that's right, only five left. It's like, look, I'm helping eliminate the competition, and they're mad. No one will work with White now. In fact, this is where Black literally just punches him out. Yeah, he does. And, he's, and White is laying on the floor unconscious. So Black has a good right hook. Yeah, so White has been knocked out. And this is where Dark, the psychologist, kind of explains that guy's just a straight narcissist. He's evil. He's a manipulative. We don't want him in the room. So everyone's kind of turning against White, who is now knocked out on the floor. And this is the point, I think, where they tie him up and restrain him so he can't cause any more trouble. They do that. We're going to, it's going to tie him up and they're debating. Can we drag him out in the hallway? People are saying they need him. And this is when blonde shows her intelligence and said, look, it says, if you leave the room, but if you leave the room, you are disqualified, but it doesn't say you can take someone else out of the room. Do you want to risk being kicked out yourself? And everyone's like, whoa, never mind. We're not removing him. Yeah. Blonde is really the smartest one in the room. She's the only one who really pays attention to every word. 
And she not only says, you can't drag him out of the room, that doesn't count. She also points out, we may need him. Like, I don't think we need to get rid of him. We may need each other to get to the end. So she's the only one who's kind of thinking long term here. Yeah, but they did vote and it ended up 2-2. So they did not pull him out of the room. But this uh, this is where White wakes up. So White has been knocked out with a punch. It's really four against him at this point. And he wakes up, and he's been tied to a chair and gagged. And he immediately starts panicking. Yeah, because apparently White has this mysterious disease, and he needs his medication every hour. I need my medication. I'm tied up. It's in my pocket. I need you guys to get it for me. And they're freaking out a little bit. Um, and they decide we're not going to give you your pill. It's kind of your just desserts. We'll see if you're telling the truth or not, if you start to die. <laughs> now, my wife made a funny observation when we were watching this last night. She's like, so you have this AIDS-like virus or whatever that supposedly is fatal unless you take a pill every hour. She's like, how does that work when you're sleeping? I, and well, and also, he's going into this interview, and he has one pill. <laughs> what I would carry, a hundred pills if I needed one every hour, but whatever. Yeah, what if this interview goes an hour and one minute? What's, what's then? <laughs> I'm sorry, candidate three is dead. <laughs> no job for you. <laughs> the pill Nazi got him. No pill for you. But yeah, so uh, so White is now freaking out because he's tied up, and apparently he's got this virus that you need to take a pill every hour to suppress it. He doesn't have his pill. He's like, look in my pocket, and they, they search through his pockets. He has no pill there, so they think he's lying. This is a scam. Turns out that one of the people has taken his pill to try to kill him. Exactly, and he freaks out, you know, where is it? And he starts going into convulsions, and he's really getting worse, so he passes out again. And I should point out, if there's a debate now with the other four people in the room, if they should help him or just let him die. And, and uh, Dark, the psychologist who hates him, says just let him suffer for a while. Black thinks he's all making it up. He's like, just let him. He'll give up the act in a second. He's not really dying. But Blonde, of course, is like, you know, we should really do something. This is not right. And Brown just doesn't participate because Brown... I think kind of realizes the minute White is incapacitated, he can take over and he will become the big villain in the room. Yeah, and I think it was dark at this point, the the woman with the glasses who sort of accuses this passed out White of maybe being a plant of the company, which leads into Brown then really starts upping the game saying, well, I think you are the plant. You know too much. Yeah, this is a legitimately uncomfortable scene to watch. And that's why I say this veers towards horror where the minute White is incapacitated, there's only two guys, two girls left in the room, and Brown really steps up his game here, where he turns right on Dark, the psychologist. He's like, you are a plant. You know way too much about this room. You're one of those rich assholes who work for this company, sitting out there laughing at us. You are steering us wrong every single time. He's like, you better tell me what you know right now. Yeah, and she denies it. You know, yes, I think she had, she admits in a minute that she actually does work for the company, but in HR and heard that there was a job opening, but knows nothing else. Dark ties her up, and things start to go pretty dark. Yeah, although she doesn't admit it right away. But it, that, that that's the interesting thing is Brown is actually 100% correct about her. He has identified that she works in HR. He identifies she works for this company. So he's 100% right, and he has jumped the next question jump to the next point in his head she must know what the question is because she has to know because she's part of this process so he ties her up and this is where we learn he is a former military interrogator and he's about to go reservoir dogs on her 
he is. He pulls out a piece of paper and says, it's it's amazing how much pain a piece of paper can inflict when used correctly. <laughs> and she gets a very scared look in her face. Oh yeah, this is this is harsh. This is this you will be glued to your seat during this one. This is a tough scene to watch, but uh yeah, so he ties up this young woman and you know, belts so he puts a belt to tie her behind her hands behind her, pulls out the piece of paper, and he's gonna start paper cutting her, and he does say the quote that David just said, plus he has another one. We need certainty, the kind that only unbearable pain can bring. <laughs> and so, yeah, off to the side, black and blonde want to stop him, but they can't because Brown is legitimately scary. He's a, an interrogator. And he says, what I will start with is on your inner thigh. I find that's where it hurts the most. And she's like, please, please don't. I'm telling you everything I know. And he's like, sorry. And he literally paper cuts her right across her inner thigh. Well, before he does that, he pushes it up, Mario, and he, he noticed that she self-hurts, that she has a line of cuts on her thigh, and she looks embarrassed, and he starts making fun of her. You know, what's wrong with you? Did, you know, undervalued at work and home? Did daddy not love you? In other words, why are you so weak that you inflicted hurt on yourself? And then he goes and makes his own cut on her leg. Yeah, that's rough. Although, it's not as rough as where the second cut's going to go. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that in a second. So he makes the cut. She starts screaming. And at that point, he's not getting the information he wants. So he's going to up the game. He takes the paper and he holds it up to her eyeball. In other words, I'm going to slice her, her eye open. And at that point, she freaks out, says, I don't know anything. And he stops and said, I believe her. She's telling the truth. No one can withstand that type of fear. <laughs> this guy's a dick. He's another dick. Yeah, I can handle a lot of stuff in horror movies. A paper cut to the eyeball is not something I can take. And I'm very happy in this movie. They come right up to the moment of where it's going to happen, and he doesn't do it. But that is a that is one hell of a tense scene. And it's funny. After he steps back, he goes, she's telling the truth. And he looks at her and just says, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the other two in the room, Blonde and Black, are furious that this interrogation has taken effect. And Blonde basically says... Stop it right now. Untie that girl. And like, he's like, fine, whatever. He doesn't care. Brown doesn't care because he's gotten the information he needs out of her. He realizes she's a plant, but only to a certain extent. She can't really help them win this contest. And at a certain point in there, I think Black tried to stop Brown and Brown like heart punched him and knocked him down. Yeah, he did. And it, once he releases um, the, the woman who was tied up, the blonde woman shows another round of empathy. She's a very empathetic character. She takes a, a, a Band-Aid off of her heel and gives it to her to put on the paper cut on her thigh so i don't know how sanitary that is in the world of a pandemic but it's a very nice gesture <laughs> yeah hopefully she didn't have like some kind of heel virus <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> whoops you're now infected sorry well that's one way to get him out of the contest in a couple hours yeah exactly and what and i think at this point they scroll back and brown after you know interrogating and torturing this woman is sitting down at his desk again just chewing gum looking like nothing happened Okay, time for another plot twist here. So so basically they're kind of screwed now. Nobody knows anything. There's like, what, 30 minutes left in the contest. They still don't know what the question or the answer is. White is passed out in his chair, supposedly dying of the virus. And this is where we learn that there's certain phases of the virus that each victim goes through. Yeah, the first, the first big one being convulsions, because White starts convulsing pretty violently on the floor. So I forget who says it, but you thought he was faking it, but it seems like it's genuine. Yeah, he's moved from stage two to stage three. I think maybe he actually might be dying. So we have a dying man in the middle of the room, White. And so now, Blonde, I think Blonde and, uh, 
and Black are the two sympathetic ones. are like, could you give this man his pill? He's dying. I know he's a dick. We can't let him die in the middle of the room. And Blonde straight up says, I know someone in this room took his pill. It's time to give it back. Yeah, let's frisk each other. So they start frisking each other, and they can't find the pill. And at that point, they're like, oh, my God, I guess White's going to die. But at this point, Dark looks over at Brown sitting there chewing his gum, and she kind of gets a knowing look in her eye and says, do you have any more gum? He says, nope, I'm all out. She walks over, reaches under the desk, and finds the pill stuck to chewed gum underneath his desk. You know, the teacher wouldn't like that he put gum underneath his desk, let alone with a life-saving pill, but that's what he did. So they find the pill. Yeah, it's funny. I always remember Dark being interrogated, and that's like the end of her story. But I forget she gets her revenge here. Where oh, she does. After she's, been to, yeah, after she's done being interrogated, she calls Brown out for stealing the pill from White and, nail, and basically busts him for it. Yep, exactly. But at that point, they're bringing it back, and they're fighting over should they give it to him or not. And somehow the pill gets knocked out of her hand, and it goes into a grate in the floor. So things are looking bad again for white well that's brown that's not somehow they're trying to give the pill to white and brown stops them brown just slaps it out of their hand knocks it into a drain in the floor so yeah now white goes from convulsions to coma and he start. he now he's really going to die because there's no pill and they can't get it because it's down this drain but once again blonde comes through she pulls a hairpin out of her hair and starts reaching down to get the pill Okay, yeah, this this whole movie is tense moments from here on out. So I'm going to try to break it down for you that this is where Dark is going to get eliminated, the psychologist lady, where White starts dying. He starts brain bleeding. You see blood come out of his nostrils. And she's like, we have to get him out of here. He's going to die of this virus if he doesn't get the suppressant pill. We'll take him out of here. You know, Biorg can, they will understand. They will give him the pill. This isn't, this is bigger than the contest. We can't let him die and nobody else will help. So she starts dragging the body over towards the door, and in the background you see Blonde reaching down with her hairpin to grab the pill, just trying to do whatever she can because she's the innovative one. And this is where Dark freaks, where she's like, like she, she thinks White's going to die. She starts screaming, someone help him, someone help him, please get in here, he's dying. And that counts as communicating with the invigilator, and she's, she disqualifies herself, basically. And it, I think it really hurt her because she turned towards the, the window, which is obviously like a two-way mirror type thing, and starts talking to the window, obviously speaking to someone outside the room, which got her disqualified. Yeah, but it, it's her, you know, her desire not to let someone die under her watch. She can't have that on her conscience. She gets pulled out of the room. She's screaming. She's like, I work here. I'm saving his life. You can't disqualify me. But that she's, it's very unfair. Some of the eliminations are very unfair. This is probably the most. Yep, and then they're down to four, I think, at this point. Yes, although lost in the chaos of every of her being dragged out of the room and them fighting over if White should be allowed to live or die, in the background, Blonde has somehow, you know, got the pill out of the drain, the magic pill that will save White, and she slips it in his mouth when no one is looking, and Blonde somehow, it's basically like an adrenaline shot right to the heart. It, whatever it is, he's he is he went from coma convulsions bleeding out of his brain to pretty much fixed immediately in like five seconds <laughs> yeah. it's like a the rock or pulp fiction the adrenaline shot right to the heart white is right back in the action after that pill yes <laughs> that is great medication i gotta say bioerg does good work yeah they do it, i want to work for that company <laughs> well I, I i wouldn't because the testing process seems rather brutal well, the funny thing is, Mario, these are these are the finalists. They had to go through other series of tests to get to this point. Maybe they'll have a, a sequel to exam of what happened in the earlier stages. How'd the French guy get through all the earlier stages? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Here, sit here quietly for four hours. Okay, I can do that. Oh, you pass. You're a genius. 
<laughs> okay, so anyway, there's 10 minutes left on the clock. There's only four people left. There's uh, We got white, black, brown, and blonde. So one woman and the three guys. And so white, who's been the asshole for most of the movie, comes to now, and he's basically untied. Blonde has untied him. And so now it's him against brown in a power struggle. Who can be the biggest asshole of the assholes? There are. And at this point, I think white says you know, good job for trying to take my pill, basically, like congratulating him for embracing his dickness. <laughs> but White says he doesn't actually think there's a question, that the test is the question, they're all the answer, and everyone starts arguing more about what it means. Yeah, this is actually a neat little leap in logic for the movie as we're going to escalate here, where White says there is no question, all there are answers, and we are the answer. So he's like, all this is is battle royale. Like, Whoever is left standing at the last at the end of this test, that's the winner. That's what I figured out. They're like, no, you're crazy. And White's like, oh, yeah, you think I'm crazy? And he, his eyes dart over towards the gun in the guard's holster. And now it's going to escalate because, oh, yeah, there's a gun in the room here. Yeah, and you, you see Black recognizes what White is about to do, and they all they start running for the gun together. <laughs> and Black gets the gun. Yeah, Black gets the gun out of the guard's holster. Again, we're not communicating with the guard, but we can sure as hell take his gun out of his holster. And so Black points the gun at White and basically holds off the other three, even though White's the only real aggressive one. And Black says, no, you're wrong. You think it's the last one left standing wins the job. I think they're going to hire everybody who survives. I think that's the test. And if we just stand here and if we all last nine more minutes, we all get the job. All we can do at this point is lose what we already have. Yeah, and White basically says, no way, just shoot me. <laughs> here, shoot me in the head, right here. <laughs> yeah, but but Black has figured out, he was listening to Deaf earlier, the weird French guy. He said, all we see in this room is ourselves. That's all it is. We're supposed to not turn on each other. He's like, just stand still for nine minutes and we can all make it. And, and White, of course, doesn't believe that. White thinks only one can survive. So now it becomes a game of chicken if Black will actually shoot him. Yeah, it, it, this is a, probably the highest tension part of the movie, and it's it's pretty tense. <laughs> okay, so here we go. White walks up to Black and says, shoot me, I dare you. And Black says, no, I'm not here to kill anybody. I will not kill for this contest. And White says, yeah, you will. And he basically comes at him, and Black pulls the trigger, unbeknownst to him. Again, Black is the kind of he – is, he has been forced into violence in this contest, even though it's against his nature. He said earlier, I'm very tolerant except against the intolerant. Yeah, exactly. So he I think there's a red light when he tries to pull the trigger and it just clicks and nothing happens. That's when White attacks him again. They fight a little more. And this is when White gets the gun. <laughs> yeah, here's another again, Leon. Whoa, there's one plot twist at the end. No, there's not. There's like six. Yeah, there, there are. Yeah. So nobody can fire the gun. The gun doesn't fire and they can't figure out why. But White figures out why, because it's got a fingerprint ID sensor on the gun, so only the guard can fire the gun. That's how high-tech this organization is. And White's like, well, I'll just go use the guard's hand to shoot the gun. I won't be communicating with him. Yeah, so, they walk, so White walks over to my favorite character and basically uses him as a puppet to put his hand in the gun, and he can then pull the guard's finger to shoot the gun. So he's sitting there holding the gun and basically says, I want everyone to – out of this game i want to win and he says what do you want to, the people say what do you want to do to mess up our own paper and he says he can't do that because my new buddy the guard here can't escort you out because we've just become friends i want you all to just leave the room everyone just leave yeah there's a neat little moment there that i kind of didn't catch until this last viewing 
where White is, he's got the guard's arm around him. The guard's arm is like wrapped around him. They're both holding the trigger together so White can shoot anybody who's, you know, disobeying. And Brown says, fine, I'll go rip up my paper and that'll get me disqualified. And he's trying to trick White. I, I kind of didn't realize that. Because if he tears the paper, the guard will make a move. He will shove White off and White won't have the gun anymore. So Brown is trying to trick him, but White outsmarts him. Yeah, I can't let my partner escort you out because we just became friends. <laughs> yeah, so White is going to literally kill these other three people in the room. And he says, all right, walk out of the room one by one. There's like five minutes, four minutes left in the on the timer. He's like, walk out of that room. And so Brown, who has been the other big asshole, basically realizes he's not going to risk his life for this job. It's not that big a deal. He's like, I'm not, I'm not getting shot for this crap, whatever. This company deserves you, you asshole. And Brown just walks out of the movie. And I got to be honest, this surprised me a little bit. I, he was such a big character. I did not think he would just walk out quietly on his own. It's one of those things the story demands for it to happen, but it probably isn't realistic. I do agree with you to an extent. Yeah, but you're right. It, it fit with the plot. Yeah, Yeah, it has to. We have to. There's certain things that have to happen after Brown leaves. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so Brown leaves, and now there's just two left. It's blonde and black, and White's pointing the gun at them, or the guard's gun, and he says, you go next, Black. And Black will not leave this room because he, of course, is a carrier of the virus himself. He needs this job. He needs this medication. And he's like, you won't shoot me. I dare you. I dare you to shoot me. And so it's another game of chicken. <laughs> Yeah, and he's wrong. <laughs> yeah, he's wrong. Turns out White will shoot him. Yeah, but before that, Blonde says to Black, don't worry, I'll leave. And she starts to walk towards the door, and as Blonde walks past Black, she says, Re like, ready. In other words, like, stand by, something's going to happen. And as she's about to leave the door, she yells, lights out, and the room goes dark. <laughs> yeah, that's a cool plot twist you don't see coming. I like that. No, that was good. I mean, she she shows to herself to be pretty smart under pressure, this blonde character. Yeah. So blonde is walking out the door. She says, lights out at the last minute. All the lights go out. And at that moment, Black tries to jump White, who has the gun. And it turns out not to work so well because White just shoots him. So we end up with a foiled plot. The lights come back on. And now Black is laying, you know, theoretically dying on the floor with a chest wound. He just got a bullet through his chest. Yeah, it's like right in his heart. So it's not looking good for Black. He's on the ground. Blonde is standing there. Um, she. It looked like she had left the room, but when they pan over to it, she has one toe still in the room. So she found a way around the rules a little bit. So she is out of the room, but technically not fully out of the room. <laughs> yeah, I love that. The, the invigilator says you cannot leave this room. And she doesn't. She 99% of her leaves the room, but she still has one little toe still inside the door. So she technically has not broken the rules. So Blonde is still in here. And with that, that's basically the end of the game because there's still three people left alive. Black is dying on the floor. White has the gun. Blonde still has one toe in the room. And with that, the buzzer beeps. So the contest is, is theoretically over. Yeah, the timer goes off and White's like, oh, he, he's glaring at everyone like, why are you still alive or partly in the room? And at this point, White walks past Blonde and goes up to the window and basically shouts to the other side of the room, well, you know, there's only one answer and you're looking at him. I've done everything. I made everything happen in here. She's done nothing. I'm the guy. I'm the one you want. Me. <laughs> and that's when you hear the guard approaching. <laughs> Okay, well, there's one thing I forgot about this moment, that it all happens at once. We're kind of talking about four things happening all at once. 
right before Blonde theoretically leaves the room, remember White taunts her. Oh, yeah. He's like, that's right, honey, leave. That's what happens when you try to fuck your way to the top. You deserve nothing. Good luck, honey. <laughs> yeah, she said, yeah, she, she kind of acknowledged, yeah, I fucked my way to the top, but I saved your life. And White says, well, anyone can make a mistake. <laughs> It's a great line. Yeah. So here's the ending. Yeah. So the timer has buzzed. White walks up to the window, starts yelling at the invigilator. I did it. I did everything in this room. I made every single thing happen in this contest. He points a blonde. She did nothing. She's worthless. She just stood there and did nothing the entire time. I'm the one you want. And like David said, and then the guard closes in on White's shoulder. And White's like, what? I'm not breaking the rules. And here's the, I guess this is the plot to us they're probably talking about. The guard holds up his watch and shows him. There's actually still 20 seconds left in the test. And White is just dumbfounded. He doesn't know what's going on. But this is the point where they cut back and they show us a, a new scene from earlier. Remember we mentioned that Def went up to – he kind of wandered up to the clock. They show Def adjusting the clock down by 20 seconds. In other words, to trick people by removing a little bit of time off the clock, which White fell for. Yeah, it's funny because it's right after White sabotages Brunette and gets her kicked out. Def modifies the clock because he knows it will sabotage White later. So it's really a revenge against White. Yeah, and White, White let's just say White does not take this well. <laughs> yeah, White has a little shit fit, and he, like, grabs the guard's gun, tries to shoot himself in the head because he's so mad, but it won't go off because the guard's not holding it. And just like that, White is dragged out, and it's like a, a huge moment in the movie. It's like this big sad, or not sad, this big heroic music plays because the bad guy has been defeated. Just a neat little moment that White has been tricked by death. Yeah. And this is the point where Blonde, with her toe in the room, steps fully into the room, goes up and picks up her paper, and she notices the glasses on the floor. This is a big scene. Remember earlier, Death dropped his glasses as he was escorted out of the room. Well, she picks up his glasses, and there's some other pieces of glass from the lights and she's remembering things that he might have said and other people have said during the movie. And she uses the glasses as a magnifying glass with the other piece of glass and finds on the back of the paper a watermark that reads question one. <laughs> and this now this is apparently a big deal. It's very exciting. She finds the, the something on the back. Me personally, I found this very unusual. It's not an actual question. It's just question one. I would have found that and said what the fuck does that mean? It, it doesn't help them much, but it's apparently a big deal because the lights go on on the window and you see Def, the can candidate number one, walk back in the room. Okay, yeah, we this will be hard to describe because I could not possibly describe this as well as it's done in the movie. It's so artfully done, this reveal. I just love everything about it. Okay, so she remembers the deaf guy. When the deaf guy was rambling in French earlier in the movie, he said, to clear is or to see clearly is all. And she kind of looks at those glasses, and she's like, could he see something that we couldn't? She picks up his glasses. She picks up some of the broken glass that came from the lights earlier in the movie. If you look through his glasses, through the, the glass, like it's like a double magnification. It's white on white. That's what makes it so hard to read, right? Yep, exactly. It just says question one. I didn't get the significance of this until I saw this movie a couple times. And she starts thinking back, and we get a flashback through every single quote, every single action, the whole speech by the invigilator earlier in the movie, blah, 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 blah. And she sees question one. And 
it's I'm trying to describe this. You just see all these little quotes, all these little incidents from the movie. You see they another... show you all the clues. They they play back all the clues. And then they have the countdown, the timer going down from ten, nine, eight, seven, and it gets to one. And the answer is one. The answer is always one. She reads question one. All the clues say one. There's all these hints from the movie. They say a character saying, maybe we're missing something obvious. Maybe it's right in front of us. And it turns out question one is obvious because there was only one question that was ever asked to the players by the invigilator at the start of the movie. And they reveal it in a pretty cool way. Blonde, you can see her face kind of light up like she gets it. She walks over to Def, who came in, and hands him his glasses back very nicely, and he puts them on. And the invigilator comes in the room. She gives him the, the paper and says, no. That's all she says is no. And that is that was the answer to the question. <laughs> yeah, okay. But it is intercut with the invigilator's speech at the start of the movie where he says uh, – there's only one question before you, and one answer is required. If you try to communicate with myself, blah, blah, blah. If you choose to leave the room for any reason, you will be disqualified. And he ended his speech with, any questions? And that is literally the only question anybody has ever asked to the contestants in the movie. And they flash back, and you realize you kind of reach a conclusion right when she does. Question one, one on the countdown, question one. Literally, what was question one? And she's like, oh, that's it, any questions? And she just walks up to... The French guy, who we know is now the elusive CEO, who has been hiding behind body doubles all these years. No one's ever really seen him. And she's like, my answer is no. I have no questions. <laughs> and at that point, the invigilator offers her the job. You know, we're excited to be hiring someone today. And she says, what if I don't take the job? <laughs> Which is what makes you think I'm going to take the job? Yeah, she gets to ask a question, too. It's only fair. Yeah, he goes, well, what's the problem? And she says, I kind of – she gets across, I have some issues with your method of in interviewing here. You know, someone died in the room. And he – well, first off, he explains a little bit about the CEO, the French guy. He's a researcher. He's not a businessman. So they have a kind of a fake CEO that does all the appearances so he can work. But we we needed someone to help. But she said, but you killed someone as part of the exam process. And this is an interesting – this might have been the big plot twist too, Mario. Mm -hmm. The invigilator says, what makes you think he's dead? Yeah, this is really cool. And it, it, it's funny. It makes me realize how close this movie is to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, After actually. like We were looking for someone smart and compassionate and with a tender heart and who was observant to take over and do things our way. Like, so Blonde is Charlie. She's Charlie. She's Charlie, yeah. <laughs> but it's funny, like, because the CEO is this little squirrely guy. She even goes to talk to him, and he, like, hides behind the invigilator. And, like, he's just this recluse. He's scared of people. He doesn't know how to talk to people. But that's why they picked her, because she's smart, observant, and compassionate. And that's the key to this movie, the more you watch it. She's the only one who shows compassion for people. She reaches out. She tries to help. When she, when the CEO walks at the end of the movie, walks in the room, she gives him his glasses back. It's a nice little moment. Yeah, she's really the only one that sh – she shows empathy. Yeah, she's the only character really that shows that. Yeah, but that ties into the ending that David was just saying is that the, the vigilator says, what makes you think Mr. Black over there is dying? And she's like, well, he was shot in the chest. And the vigilator's like, look again. And you can see the wound in his chest is healing, and all of a sudden the tissue is regenerating. And she's like, what is that? And he's like, that is the true reason for this contest. He's like, that is – what is the exact term? Rapid cell regeneration? Yeah, they, he said, as we were searching for the cure for this pandemic, we came across something even more powerful, rapid cell regeneration in a pill. It kills the virus 
but pretty much everything else too. It's the magic bullet, the gift of life for millions. Yeah, not only that, it adds life, adds years to your life. This is the longevity pill that people have searched for. This is the fountain of youth. This is like the holy grail. Like this is the biggest invention in medicine. We stumbled on it accidentally. Our genius CEO, this little weird guy standing behind me, he discovered this pill and we're going to open factories and we're going to give this to people. But he says, but important decisions will have to be made. Who gets this pill? Who doesn't? Someone with compassion and wisdom will need to lead this company. You will basically be the CEO's right-hand man. And that's why we picked you. And they kind of imply this super pill it's not quick to make. It takes a while to make it, so we can't just spit it out for everyone in the world. It's going to take a long time, so we need someone to help us make the right decisions as to who gets it when. Yeah, so that was the reason for this contest. They needed someone who follows directions, who's observant, wise, but most of all, compassionate. And we'll be able to, we'll be able to make life decisions for an entire populace in the middle of a pandemic, which is why David and I have pointed out, watching this movie in the middle of a pandemic makes it much different. It really does. And one of my favorite scenes right at the end after they have this little exposition, Black wakes up and kind of sits up a little bit and he holds his cross. You know, it's symbolic of his religion and everything else. And this is when the little squirrely French CEO says something in French, but then he sa actually says it in English. He says, he is risen. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, we are giving re the ability to resurrect people who are gonna you know we're really really sick or dying we can save them yeah it's astounding and it's such a powerful ending it just ends with the blonde realizing the kind of power she's being entrusted with and how much trust they have in her and the type of people she gets to work with that are wise and can come up with these these life-changing inventions she goes up to the ceo who's again scared of people he won't talk to anybody and she just reaches out and shakes his hand and he reaches out his hand and they shake and she says all right let's do it let's get started yeah, it's a great ending, and then it just cuts to black. <laughs> How does this movie only have 60% on Rotten Tomatoes? I don't get it. Like, this is one of the neatest movies I have ever seen. It's so tight and so well done and so so telegraphed. They telegraph everything to the ending about the ending earlier in the movie, the more you watch. I just do not get how people don't love this movie. It, it, the funny thing about this movie, Mario, you know how some movies you see it once, you know, I don't really want to see it again. You know, it's, it's not going to add anything. I've seen this movie now four times. Every time I've seen it, I've liked it more and noticed subtle little things that I didn't pick up on previous viewings. Yeah. And again, we talked earlier. There's a movie Cube. You may have listened to my staff picks episode on it already. But Cube and this are very similar. People thrown into a weird situation, have to work together. They turn on each other. The smartest ones will survive at the end, the most compassionate ones. But there's a difference in that Cube does not have a hopeful ending. It's just some, some guy escapes and he crawls off into mystery. You have no idea. This movie has such a hopeful, happy, optimistic ending, and it is compassion and wisdom has been rewarded, and good things will happen to the world with her in charge. It just leaves you with a totally different feeling than Cube. It does. I, and I, in researching for this podcast, I did a little research on the director. It's interesting. I found an interview with him where one of the people inter interviewing the director asked what I thought was a pretty good question. What would have happened in the beginning of the movie if when he said any questions, someone raised their hand and just said no? And he goes, the movie would have been five minutes, yeah. and that person would have been the new CEO. That would have been the end of the movie. Our budget would have been a lot lower. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we could rent out one classroom for one day. And I got to tell you, I don't think this what, – what's the name of the company? Data Prep, whatever it was, the, this company – 
they don't have an HR department. <laughs> Whatever is going on here, this interview process did not pass HR. Could you, because it's possible that White accidentally said no in the beginning or is the last one standing and blurts out no, and he's the guy. Could you imagine if they had to give him the job, you know, a year later? Hey, little French guy, remember that interview when I treated you like a dog and made you eat paper? That was fun. Good times. Now we get to work on distribution together. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> here, boy. Here, boy. <laughs> well, okay. For all the things we talked about, this movie kind of being horror, kind of being sci-fi, being pessimistic, I should point out not a single person dies in this movie. No, well, except for the billions of people that theoretically died outside of the room during the pandemic. But yes, on screen, no one died. Yeah, tomato, tomato, whatever. Yes, exactly. But I'm saying it's not as horrific and as... You know, the apprentice goes to hell. It's actually not as pessimistic as it, as you think it is. It just is, is is wrapped up in that package for you. Exactly. And I know a lot of your fans are Survivor fans. If you're a Survivor fan, this is a nice twist on the Survivor game in a movie. <laughs> it is really like watching Survivor Borneo. They all just turn on each other towards the end. It just gets nasty. Exactly. With you know less naked people. Yes. <laughs> Although I did, I did notice one thing you said when they all frisk each other looking for the pill. No one frisked the guard, so the guard didn't get any of that action. Yeah, bummer. I feel bad for him. Yeah, that's right. He could have had the pill. I didn't think about that. The guard could have taken it. But she did frisk him earlier to try to find the, the um, yeah. Yeah, he was probably still hard from that. Yes, and I will say I now use the word invigilator as often as I can, and no one knows what I'm, I'm talking about. <laughs> And with that, I believe we have wrapped up our uh, coverage of Exam. Again, one of these movies I've just been dying to talk about for the longest time because I feel so strongly about it for people that would listen to the show. I know you guys will like this movie if you've never seen it before. This one will be right up your alley. This is such a Staff Picks movie. It's per I, I've seen a lot of Staff Pick movies. In fact, the movies I tend to watch now are Staff Pick shows I haven't seen. This and the, the other are the two that I think are the quintessential Staff Pick movies. You don't know how hard I've tried to beat people over the head with the other for two decades, and I can never get people to know that movie. It is so good. Oh, my God. I, and I only knew about it because of Staff Picks. Yeah. And that's like my least downloaded episode ever. Like, even even on Staff Picks, that's an underrated movie. That's sad. <laughs> yeah, okay. So if you guys want a good scary movie, go find the other. Although, good luck tracking it down. You might have to find it on, like, putlockers.russia.communism or whatever. <laughs> But Exam is freely available, and this is a fantastic movie. And again, it's not super bloody. It's there's not a whole lot of swearing. It's you know, it's if it's R, I don't even know what it's rated, but it's really not that. It's intense in a couple scenes, but it's not that like horrific or anything. No, not at all. If I, I think it's probably PG-13, maybe it's R because I think they curse a little bit. I think you can only drop the f-bomb once in a PG-13, but who knows? Yeah, but either way, it's just one of these movies I wish I was smart enough to have made or have written myself. Like, it probably was never a big hit, but man, I would feel I would feel so accomplished if I had created a movie like this. It's so cool. It's one of these where they made something out of nothing, and I just love it. I'm a big fan of movies that when you look back on the movie and there's a ton of clues that you could have picked up on, I, I really appreciate the genius behind that writing. Yeah, well said. And... With that, I guess we have to start planning your uh, next appearance on Staff Picks. Because I have to say, it's really easy to work with you. You and I have a good uh, synergy, so it's fun to have you on the show. Right, well, thank you. I, I try to do the research so I don't sound more like a moron than I really am, so I appreciate that. Yeah, and if you guys enjoyed this episode, go listen to our Crimson Tide one, which has my all-time favorite opening of any episode I've ever done on Staff Picks, where we recreate the Crimson Tide speech. 
<laughs> I spent so much time syncing that speech to the music and getting it just right. It was fun. That was fun. That was a good one. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything else you want to add about this before we sign off and send our minions to go find exam? Go watch this movie. All right. <laughs> well said. Very succinct. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> He's not the best color man in the league for nothing. <laughs> major league thank you all right anyway once again my name is mario lanza this is staff picks if you need to reach me you can reach me at staff picks podcast at gmail.com or on twitter at mario j lanza until next time i'll be out there searching for more movies that deserve more love and i'll be invigilating the hell out of them to prepare them for you i'll talk to you guys later bye Any questions? <laughs>